Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. Well, God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. Demons are bound by the rules of God. They have to operate within those rules. Their normal activity is temptation. The extraordinary activity is the stuff you see in the movies, infestation, oppression, and possession. The demon's not allowed to do those things unless we invite him into our lives to do those things. Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons for this week. I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio. Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons comes your way every week thanks to a cooperation of Faith Radio and Q Ideas. And as you just heard, we're going to delve into a serious discussion on demons. I never thought I'd say that on the show, but Gabe, tell us about what's coming up. I'm excited for you to today experience one of the talks that was probably one of the most talked about conversations. If you were having lunch with a friend at Q, if you were at dinner, or if you could have walked by the room where the breakout took place for this conversation, it was packed, people were flowing out into the hallway, and then they stayed after an extra hour just to talk about it. And the topic was on the idea of exorcism, demonology, and the spiritual world. I'm so excited for you to hear this talk. It really was in the form of a conversation where I interviewed Adam Bly, and I just want to cut right into it. I want you to hear the setup, why we chose to talk about this at Q. Let's listen in now. When's the last time you heard a talk on exorcism? Anyone? In fact, we asked you, let's pull up the data right now of kind of how much you guys usually talk about this kind of a topic. My church openly discusses the demonic realm. 33% said rarely and 47% said no. So 80% said rarely or never do we talk about the demonic realm. But guys, how can we be Christians and not try to better understand what's happening in the spiritual realm. I mean, isn't that like a pretty big deal? It's what we believe is actually going on in the world. But I will say, if we don't take time at a place like this, where we're talking about a bunch of ideas, talking about, again, let's, let's change the world, right? Let's innovate. The reality is, there's an enemy who wants nothing more than to destroy you, destroy me, destroy your churches, tempt you. He'll disguise himself in every possible way. And... Do we really take enough time to talk about that? As so we thought this year at Q, let's do that. And, and as we do with Q, the way we think about these topics is we work through with the team a topic and go, okay, we need to talk about this. And for me, the, the genesis was seeing the news headlines over the last two or three years about the rise in exorcisms taking place around the world. And I was kind of shocked to see it. I mean, this is like mainstream news talking about the Catholic Church and how there's this rise happening in exorcism and, and starting to understand that the Catholics actually have an approach to this and they're not embarrassed to talk about it. So we said, well, who could we go to that would be willing to come talk about it? Do we talk to somebody who actually does exorcisms? I don't know that we could find somebody like that. And so as we started working on that, we, we found who you're about to hear from in just a moment. His name's Adam Bly. He's the expert in demonology for the Catholic Church. His main role and job is to actually train priests on how to carry out exorcisms. 
Now, if the hair is starting to stand on the back of your neck, so is mine. So the next 18 minutes, listen in as Adam and I talk and, and hopefully help us to start to appreciate and understand what's happening in the spirit realm. Will you join me in welcoming Adam Bly to the stage? So I, my first question, I'm sure everybody's wondering, which is, how does one find themselves in the work of being an expert on demonology? So first off, don't be afraid. Jesus is in charge. Remember that, okay? There's only one boss. Um, so very briefly, I was in graduate school for adult clinical psychology doing brainwave research, and that involved hypnosis and other consciousness research. Uh, I was curious whether any of these strange experiences that people were starting to report in the media, and um, we were, you know, seeing some some of this coming up in the ghost hunter shows that were just starting in those days. And in adult clinical psychology, you're dealing with mental illness, so it's like, okay, all this is just psychosis. They're misunderstanding things. But I was curious to go talk with some people myself directly. And so I started looking into that since I had some training and diagnosis and clinical interviews and all of that. Um, so that's kind of where it started was saying, we know a little bit yeah. about the brain, we know a little about mental illness. Is this just mundane? So let's let's really get into your life. I mean, most people here, I know I hadn't heard of this role, fascinated by it, and just getting to know you to hear what your typical week looks like. Would you just kind of share with us what does your typical week look like for you? Yeah, so somebody like me probably isn't going to happen again in this generation or for a few because when I started, we only had a handful of exorcists in the country maybe 12 or 20 for the whole United States about 15 years ago, almost none. Uh, now we have well over 100 that are trained up. So praise God, the ministry is established and, and is rolling. So somebody like me really wouldn't happen. This role should be a priest uh, who's actually doing the work. I was mentored and trained uh, by many of the most experienced people, and, and yeah. I'm a member of the International Association of Exorcists. So basically... Uh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't see somebody like me doing this job. So, yeah. understand, I'm an anomaly. Yeah. Right. Uh, but basically, I work full time for my bishop at our chancery. I take all the strange phone calls. I do all of the intake interviews. I try to, if it's easy to figure out this sounds medical or mental, talk with your doctor first and then get back to me next week. Um, and this is a this is a very important part of this process, yes. as, as I've learned about it with yes. you. That, you know, lots of times people can just blame everything on the spirit world or the demon. You guys really take time to process through that before you ever arrive yeah. at a conclusion. Will you just explain mm -hmm. a little more about that process so people here can appreciate when yeah. does it get to the moment where you're like, this is actually demon and spiritual warfare? Yeah, weeks or months of evaluation first. So the church is very careful to uh, make sure that it's not a mundane problem. So the church requires a person get medically and psychologically evaluated by licensed professionals that are outside, giving an outside opinion and perspective on the case. In addition to that, we do the more spiritual diagnosis work. So not only do, do the symptoms have to be not explainable by a treatable mundane thing like epilepsy? And if, it, if the doctor says, yeah, they have epilepsy and it can cause what they're complaining of, we say to the person, you need to cooperate with treatment 
take your meds and let's see if it clears up. And then it clears up, and that's it. Case is over. If it isn't explainable, it then has to meet another hurdle, and that is these extraordinary signs that over the 2,000 years of doing this, there's a recorded tradition in the church. We've kept records over these 2,000 years since Jesus instituted this and the seven gospel miracles that were exorcisms and then told us to go do it. Um, We kept notes, and we realized there's a few things that happen that go beyond the, the mundane world, and that is knowing all languages, So being schizophrenic doesn't make you fluent in Aramaic. Um, Knowing hidden things, being manic depressive doesn't make you suddenly know secrets about my life that you weren't there for, and there's very specific, it's not vague. Uh, Being depressed doesn't make you name the saint's relic that's in my pocket that I've not told anybody about. Uh, or I give you a cup of water to drink and you take a sip of it and spit it out because it's been blessed, all right? Detecting the holy, knowledge of all language, knowledge of all languages, knowledge of hidden things, and then supernatural strength is the fourth one. But you would never diagnose based on that. Who's worked in psychiatric settings? Okay. When somebody's psychotic, they can be incredibly strong. So you would never diagnose just based on strength. Uh, but the difference with the strength in that case is they never get tired. Two or three hours later, they're still going, and you're exhausted. Okay, help us understand the 2,000 years of experience passed down, recorded, of how demons work. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about how demons right now, for every every one of us in this room, are trying to work or get at us. Right. So uh, I want to pass on some nuggets that are hopefully useful to you. Number one, the spiritual world's very legalistic. Demons are bound by the rules of God. They have to operate within those rules. Their normal activity is temptation. They're allowed to do that to us our entire lives. That's what they're allowed to do. God has them all on a leash, and he lets the leash go enough to let them tempt us because that's what makes us spiritually stronger. It's through being challenged and struggling that we gain spiritual strength. If we were just laying and getting grapes fed to us and there was never a challenge, do you ever get strong? No, you're actually weakened by that. It's Mm -hmm. adversary in life that makes us stronger. Mm -hmm. So the demon serves in spite of himself when it comes to temptation. The extraordinary activity is the stuff you see in the movies, infestation, oppression, and possession. He's not allowed to do that, and it's not a he, it's a spirit, right? The demon's not allowed to do those things unless we invite him into our lives to do those things. So somebody with valid authority has to tell the demon, I invite you into my life in this extraordinary way before he can do it. His hands are tied. That's either you, if it's your body, you, if it's your child that's not of the age of reason, you have the authority to baptize them. You also have the authority to curse them because you just have parental authority. Some parents misuse that. Could be an ancestor. Sins of the fathers to the fourth and fifth generation, right? So sometimes we see like a curse in the family that came from an ancestor who was doing really bad things. So the demon has to be invited through valid authority to do something extraordinary beyond temptation. Once he's in your life in that extraordinary way, you have to renounce and reject whatever the invitation was to break the rights that he's been given. Mm then he needs to be pushed out. 
So really briefly, in order to push him out, if it's for you, you have authority over your own body. A person is a body and a soul brought together in a union. God gave you that body. It's yours. If a demon is scratching you or pushing you, you're allowed to say in the name of Jesus, get off me, because I have authority over my own body given to me by God. I can speak for this. Okay? If it's your little child, same thing. If it's your house, same thing. The difference is if it's somebody else that isn't your child, somebody else's house, now you're going in and bossing a demon around, and you don't necessarily have authority over, over that situation. And that's where you get into these kind of arguments between the Catholic and Protestant perspective. Yeah, Everybody should be able to do this, that kind of thing. Well, let's talk about that, because it's a majority Protestant room, sure. and the idea that everybody ought to be able to do that. Obviously, in your practice, it's very specifically priests who have the opportunity to do exorcism, and somebody who's not wouldn't. I'm, I'm just reading here, and, and I think this is one of the challenges people would bring up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in Mark 15... Jesus says after the resurrection as part of the Great Commission, these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. And, and many of us Protestants take that as a direct directive to us, that, that we need to be casting out demons. That should be mm-hmm. part of our actual followership of, of Jesus Christ. So how do you as a Catholic think about that and how do you right. respond to that criticism? Right. So there's basically two ways to think about exorcism. And by the way, in the very early church, in the first like 100 years, exorcisms were done by teams of lay people because priesthood didn't exist yet. So they would identify the people in the Christian community that seemed to have a charism or a knack or a gift for this type of prayer And when you were baptized into the faith, you would go through weeks of exorcisms to drive all the pagan gods out of you before you were baptized. This is what the ancient church did. It was only over hundreds of years that they restricted the exorcisms first to priests and then priests only with permission from their bishop. Because there was a lot of abuses, the ministry was dangerous, it's wily to deal with a demon that's in a body that can speak and lay hands on you and, and throw you around the room. It's a, it's a very serious ministry. So what do we see is, yes, some people have that charism that God gives them. God may choose to give that to that person. You want to be really careful discerning that and be really sure. Or you have apostolic authority. We know with the apostles, think of it this way. When you're baptized... You're all grafted into the mystical body of Christ, right? You become part of the body of Christ when you're baptized. But we're not all baptized into the head of the body of Christ as a leadership role. Some of us are called to be fathers. Some of us are called to run conferences. Some of us are called to be bishops or priests or a leader or a minister. So we're not all grafted into the same part of the body of Christ. The apostles are at that highest level of authority that Jesus gave those 12 guys, that special, your apostles, they're different. That's why the church down through the centuries realized if the living apostle who had valid succession back to Jesus through the 12 has that authority that Jesus gave the 12, he can delegate it to the priest and say, go do this in my name. I'm lending you my apostolic authority. And what do we see in practice? It then works. Yeah, talk about that. In practice, I know you were sharing with me some stories right. about when a priest has authority from the bishop to do an exorcism, demons respond differently than if they don't. 
Oh, absolutely. Describe yeah, and, a, a little more of a scenario. I know Friday afternoons, you told me that this is the time, Fridays, when you actually do exorcisms. That's when the practice takes place. I mean, take us into a Friday where somebody has authority, somebody doesn't have authority. Yeah, so for instance, um, and so demons don't care about our intellectual conversation. They don't care about our theories. They don't care about our theology. They only care about what God says because God has the rules that they operate under. So we can we can say, I think you should obey me because of this and this. And the demon's like, it, it it's only going to obey God. So, for instance, we had a deacon come in to observe some cases, to get some training, to actually sit in on some exorcisms, because it's really the best way to learn. He walked in the room for the first time. We hadn't said anything about him to the person. And as soon as he walked in the room, the demon turned and said, what do you think you're doing here? You don't have authority to do anything. You might as well leave. I'm not going to listen to a word you say. Now, that was a deacon. We've also had priests come in before the bishop gave authority for the exorcism, and the demon literally manifested, took over the body, and said, you don't have permission. I don't have to answer your questions. I'm not listening to anything that you say. Next week rolls around. The bishop has verbally said, okay, I give you permission. They walk in the room, and the demon's immediately scrambling in the corner, clawing at the wall, trying to get away from the priest. We haven't said a word about it, but the demon knows, they know in the spiritual yeah. When, when that apostolic authority is present. And at that point, you say, sit in the chair and shut up and put your hands in your lap. The priest does, in the name of Jesus. Sit in the chair, <laughs> put your hands in your lap, and they will sit down and shut up. And they, the priest will say, in the name of Jesus, speak when I tell you to speak, yeah. and don't move. And, the, and suddenly, it's a very different picture. Wow. So in circle, Protestant charismatic circles, in... Well, People we, reading we, Mark and going... We, we have charismatics, too. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Thank you for pointing that out. But as I read what's in Mark and people here just go, look, I'm, I see somebody acting in a way that I think is a demon or something mm-hmm. happening with spiritual warfare. Why shouldn't I just go right at that source? Why shouldn't I just talk to that demon? It, this is just my advice after like almost 15 years of rolling around on the carpet with Satan. Um, and you're supposed to laugh at that. I think everybody's listening. My, my, the humor's very dry. It's a dry toast. Um, you laughed? We didn't know you laughed. This is great. Um, my advice is ask Jesus to free the person because if it's a serious case, and, and this gets to when Protestants come to us, Protestants come to us in two instances. One instance, um, citing scripture, reading scripture, works up to a point in terms of severity of cases. Generally, when you come across a real full-blown serious possession, those methods make it angry, but it doesn't resolve the case. And eventually, various denominations come to us. And I'm not saying that in any disparaging way. I'm not up here judging. saying the Protestants try to... Yes. Exercise a yes. demon. It's but, not working. The they come blown, to the Catholic. Yes. Yeah, so the full-blown serious cases. So you know in the scripture when they came back after the one and they said, hey, Lord, it didn't work. Why didn't it work? And he said, oh, this one's different or this type is different. You need more prayer and fasting for this. Mm. So there's clues that there's different gradients of difficulty. And this relates to the nine choirs of angels. Nine, some fell from all nine choirs. So you got nine ranks of demons. So the more serious high-ranked ones, they're more difficult to deal with. 
that's usually yeah. when you run into that. Yeah, I know when you, you and I were talking, you said it, it'd be like walking into a bar and punching somebody in the face to try to speak to a demon that's possessing someone else. You've just opened yourself right. because for you're, that demon. Yeah, you're challenging it personally, so you're consenting to the spiritual struggle and the physical struggle. So really super brief, we had a real case, a full-blown possession case, that came from a person, they had a friend, a minister's wife felt that she was possessed or oppressed, and uh, this woman took the Leonine exorcism. Some of you may have read it's it's the minor exorcism written by Pope Leo. It's out on the internet. Don't use it. Um, she said, "Oh, I'll, I'll pray this for you," and and touched the person and said these prayers. And it involves a direct command of "Be gone, Satan!" is in, is in the prayers. As soon as she gave the direct command while touching, she felt something rush into her, and she's been possessed ever since. It's been over 15 years. So my, my, my hint is touch is a big deal in spiritual warfare. There's something very important about touch that God has established. Touch with prayer is a big deal. My advice is ask Jesus to do it. Why? Ultimately, Jesus is doing it anyway. All right? All authority comes from him, and it's him responding. So deprecatory prayer is, oh, God, please help Gabe. I ask a question, I, I make a petition, I wait and see what God does. That's much safer than, in the name of Jesus, get out. Now I've consented to a personal struggle. If I say, Jesus, please help Gabe, it's not between me and the demon. It's between the demon and Jesus, you see? Yeah. And it's no less effective. If I, if I have pride and I want to be the special guy, yeah. right? I want to give the commands because I'm going to look special. I've got the charism. I'm feeding into what? The devil's main thing, pride. Yeah, that's good. Whereas if I give Jesus the honor and the glory, it's no less effective and it's giving more honor to God as opposed to giving honor to myself. That's good. So okay. that's, that's Our time's advice. almost up, yes. but I have one more question you yes. have to answer, um, especially based on the research from this group about how little is, this is being talked about, almost 80% rarely yeah. or never in some of our Protestant um, communities. I know today even um, the Pope just released a, a, a whole document, and we don't have time to get into that, but, but for the Catholic Church saying this is a new priority, we're going to double down on this, more yeah. people like you being involved in that. But for Protestants, what's, what are we missing if we're not teaching our people about how Satan works? We're a missionary country in reverse, the wave of Christianity rolled into this country and established it. We're becoming less Christian and less religious, and the wave of Christianity is rolling back slowly. That's the way our civilization is going. In the history of the church of 2,000 years, you see a flurry of exorcisms when Christianity first entered cultures. We're seeing that flurry come back because the wave is rolling back, and we're choosing to abandon that understanding. We abandon that understanding. We, we fill the void with something. We, our children have an innate need for spiritual experiences. It's built into us as humans. When we don't have it from our institutionalized religion, we're going to seek it out in the occult. We're going to seek it out in ghost hunting. We're going to seek it out in, in Gnosticism. We're going to seek it out in Eastern traditions that we don't understand. The kids are going to find it somehow. They're going to, they're going to look for it. And what they're going to find is the devil because he's waiting there to feed them whatever line he wants to feed them. So my advice to you as leaders in the Protestant world is understand if, 
remember this, if nothing else. Extraordinary demonic problems are first commandment issues. Possessions, oppression, they come from violating the first commandment. You are turning to a spirit other than God for comfort, information, or power. Our children are turning to spirits other than God for comfort about the afterlife, information sometimes, divination, and power. And when you do that, you invite extraordinary demonic problems. We need to catechize them about the first commandment. We need to relearn about the spiritual world and the rules that it operates in. I would advise you, if you want to get a book on a method of actually doing this that's really tractable and and applicable and not explicitly Catholic, it can be applied by any Christian, I would get Neil Lozano's books. Just look up Unbound, and he has a more recent one that came out. It's been used for a few decades now. Really effective. It guides and empowers the person to identify these problems and renounce them and close those doors. Let's thank Adam for sharing with us from his expertise. This is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, and we just heard Gabe talking with Adam Bly about exorcism. That recorded conversation came from last year's Q Conference in Nashville, and if you haven't yet, visit QIdeas.org. Q 2019 is coming up starting April 24th. There's more information about some of the key speakers coming and the curated discussions that are planned. And Gabe, you handle some pretty weighty issues like we just heard today with Adam Bly. This is really emblematic of what we're trying to do at Q. We're trying to bring you some of the most thoughtful people, people who are intelligent. Some are scholars, some are practitioners, uh, people who are creating change wherever they're showing up, influencing things, people like Adam and others who we try to interact with uh, first on the Q stage where we do our Q conference. And I would love to invite you to that. You got to see this talk, but if you've never been with us at Q, there's 35 talks like what you just heard dealing with topics that lots of times the church has not engaged or engaged well, but in a format that anybody can hang in there with us. Nine-minute talks, 18-minute talks, interviews, conversations, breakouts, experiences. So you can learn more about that. You can learn more about everything we do at Q at QIdeas.org, and I would love for you to go there and check it out. And so I hope through Q and QIdeas.org we can be a tool and a resource for you. Thank you for being with us, and we look forward to continuing these conversations with you on a weekly basis. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.